Welcome to the reading of Dr. Richard Ganz's book, Psychobabble, The Failure of Modern Psychology and the Biblical Alternative. Copyright 1993 by Richard Ganz. This book is read and distributed with the author's permission. This MP3 audio file is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books, which offers a large selection of free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed resources on the web at swrb.com. We continue our reading on page 157. Appendix Learning to Communicate All the best intentions of Christians to comfort and encourage one another will come to nothing if church members can't communicate. I disliked it when one of my mentors said to me, Communication is the name of the game. It sounded so cheap, so carnal. I am embarrassed to admit that he was right. In my counseling practice, and that of the men and women I have trained, problems in communication account for the vast majority of cases we see. That is not meant to suggest that everyone coming for counseling says that the problem is communication. Not at all. Some could never imagine that. Yet the problem becomes evident rather early on. It is not so much what was done as what was or wasn't said that causes most problems. J. Adams said, Communication is the basic skill needed to establish and maintain sound relationships. A sound husband and wife relationship is impossible apart from good communication. Amos put it tersely, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3, King James Version. Communication is crucial to counseling. First, the counselor must elicit information. Even prior to the actual beginning of the sessions, forms are filled out that ask basic questions. What is the problem as you see it? What brings you here? What have you done about it? What do you hope I can do? But the counselor soon learns that what counselees write may not be what actually most deeply troubles them. As a matter of fact, numerous individuals who seek counseling will not put their main concerns on the forms. At the beginning of counseling, I never push much deeper than the presenting problem, that is, the problem they write on the form. I take that problem seriously. I work with them on it. I help them to solve it. Often, after I have dealt with the presenting problem, a counselee will say, I'm glad that's dealt with. Now I know you can be trusted with the really serious problems. Sometimes, sad to say, people never get beyond the presenting problem. Perhaps they are embarrassed by the real problem. Sometimes they are enmeshed in lies. Nowhere did I see these barriers more clearly than in the case of Ron. He and Stephanie came for counseling because their marriage was crumbling, and he, not she, wanted it saved. The crisis had come the previous week when Ron stayed late at work one more time. I asked him to tell me what was so important about work that again he didn't make it home until late. He described an important business meeting he had had to attend. As he described this meeting, 
I watched confusion spread across Stephanie's face. I asked her what was wrong. She said that a week earlier he had told her a completely different story. She reminded him of what he had said. He suggested that she was mistaken, but she stuck to her guns. In fact, when Ron refused to change his second story, Stephanie got up to leave, saying she refused to live with a liar. As the door was shutting, Ron called her back. He swore he was about to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I think he did that. He explained that there had never been a business meeting, ever. Instead, Ron spent his nights as an active participant in gay bars. Incredibly, Stephanie never knew. Tears streamed down his face as Ron confessed his sin. Stephanie sat there stone-faced, getting, as it seemed, more rigid by the moment. Finally, she left the room again, this time for good. While there was no fear of Ron's having passed on AIDS to his wife, since this happened before that plague, she left him because of his adulterous homosexual relationships. Ron was broken. As he sat and wept, I couldn't be sure whether he was crying about his sins, about getting caught, or about the breakup of his marriage. I knew that if he and I were going to work together, we would have to work on his life, not on his marriage. Ron agreed. What emerged was that Ron's life was a total sham. Not only was his relationship to his wife a lie, but his whole life, every significant aspect and relationship, was dominated by perverse sexual desire and actions, and by deceit. Ron had lied about that Friday night because he could no longer keep straight the massive number of lies he had told to his wife, his children, his employer, his colleagues, his homosexual partners, and his parents. Life for Ron was a mountain of lies that had finally collapsed. He had a choice. Like Harry mentioned earlier, his desire for homosexual relationships was strong but he didn't get a chance to tell me that Christianity didn't work for him. In the intervening years, I had learned clearly that victory was not in being immune to former temptations. Victory was in standing firm in the midst of temptations. We are not kept from the valley of the shadow of death. We are kept safe in the valley of the shadow of death. Ron saw how this sin, which he thought had been hidden, had blown up in his face and destroyed his life. He did not want to stop homosexual sin, but he did want to make one last try to get right with God. He knew that this would not guarantee his wife's return. She didn't come back. At the same time, he knew he could no longer live with the lie. Interestingly, the lives of many homosexuals are characterized by deception. Ron was not unique in this sense. What made him unusual was his willingness to do what was right, in spite of what he desired. No one will ever be successful in the battles against sin unless he or she is willing to do what is right above any and all desires. Ron persisted in a changed lifestyle. He found it became easier to live a straight life after his paths had been straightened. 
After he repented of the lies, he began developing a pattern of honesty. As an honest man, he did what was right, daily putting off sin and putting on righteousness. The battle isn't over for Ron, but each day's righteousness makes tomorrow's just a little bit easier. Our paths parted with Ron's life shattered, but in the brokenness he was being made whole by God. He was experiencing success because he didn't allow the conflicting emotions, desires, and drives to let him choose against God. He saw that in these battles he was no different than anyone else. The counselor often finds it difficult to probe people who are obviously concealing something, yet this must be done gently if there is to be biblical change in people's lives. Ron had to be pushed to present the real problem because he did not have an unhappy wife, but a miserable wife who knew, on some level, that something was terribly wrong in the marriage. The Lord is gentle. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. Matthew 12:20. But there is an interesting twist here. It is the smoldering wick and the broken reed that Jesus doesn't crush. It is not all people. Those who come crushed, hurting, and broken are to be gently helped and encouraged in the ways of confession, repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. But those who come cocky and bold, arrogant and proud, are not treated as broken reeds. They are to learn, perhaps very soon, that the way of the transgressor is hard. Proverbs 13:15. Communication skills are used in counseling and in every part of life. Paul told the Corinthians that his mouth was open to them. He kept nothing back. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 and 12 When people are closed-mouthed, hiding things, keeping things back, or misrepresenting truth, serious problems result. Biblical counseling must help people learn how to communicate in their present crisis and make a lifelong commitment to godly communication thereafter. If I suggested that the basic communication problem is what people don't say and I stop there, I would be misleading you. Even more potent is what they do say. James hinted at this problem. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed, and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. James 3, verses 5 through 8. Few things are more difficult than picking up the fragments of lives smashed by words that can never be retrieved. I remember telling one counselee that every word that proceeded out of his mouth was to be only a gracious word that brought edification to the hearer. Ephesians 4:29. He looked at me and said that would ruin his spontaneity. For a moment I was taken aback. 
Yes, what about his spontaneity? Then it hit. What is spontaneity anyway compared to the damage thoughtless words inflict on another human being? This spontaneity stuff is part of a culture determined to do whatever pleases it, whatever makes it feel good, even if that rips and tears someone else apart. Christians have accepted the Esselin mentality that says, let it all out. It is the honesty for honesty's sake cult. There is no sense of speaking the truth in love, but simply of getting it all out. That man with whom I spoke had no idea of the philosophy behind what he was saying, but his attitude has to be opposed. Yes, many people have spent their lives spontaneously tearing others up, but they are going to have to learn new patterns of communication that are gracious and edifying. If they are Christians, then they will have to submit themselves to God's demands for loving and godly speech. They will have to renounce the deadly poison of the tongue. If we are to honor Jesus Christ and bless one another, we must remove from our lives various kinds of ungodly speech. These include blowing up at others. Proverbs liken speech to the thrusts of a sword. Proverbs 12.18 Many will say that it is better to blow up than to clam up. Both are ungodly communication practices and should be renounced. Recent studies indicate that blowing up may be just as harmful physically as clamming up. But even if blowing up were more physically healthy than clamming up, these would both still be wrong because they are unkind and unloving. When there is a problem, you must attack it and not another person, even if you perceive that person to be responsible for your problem. Continual Sarcasm If some people are not using sarcasm, they do not communicate. Everything is a put-down. Think of how it would feel to hear statements such as these addressed to you all the time. Oh, you're a nerd. Or, you weren't always a beast. Or, you really think you're holy, don't you? What would these remarks do to a Christian struggling with sin? Merciless teasing. Sometimes teasing is confused with playfulness, but not by the recipient. It is one thing to be playful. It is another to never let up on teasing. Ask the young children of a parent who never stops teasing if they like it. Sure, it sounds funny, but not to the child with braces to always be introduced as metal mouth, and not to the employee to be introduced by his employer as Homer, our accountant. Too bad he never learned how to add. There is a place for playfulness, but when you are asked to stop, that should be it. If you say that you are never asked to stop, that it doesn't bother anyone, perhaps they have just given up asking you. Joking about a spouse to others Few things undermine a marriage more than to have one partner make jokes about the other to outsiders. Recently I spoke at a conference on the family. My wife was in the audience. I was talking about this principle and communicating how important it is. 
I still don't know why I did it, but I made a joke about her. She was embarrassed and flabbergasted. I felt rotten. That kind of thing occurs with couples all the time, but I had prided myself on being above it. Perhaps that is why I fell with my wife and a large audience present. Telling Others About Intimate Problems Married persons should not speak to their parents or others about intimate problems with a spouse, especially if the spouse doesn't know. It isn't good even if the spouse does know about it. Problems should be worked on together. If couples cannot resolve them, they should seek out the pastor or someone trained in neuthetic counseling. If the married person speaks to parents or others, he or she will dissipate the energy needed to tackle the problem. He or she will become accustomed to talking about problems rather than doing something about them. Criticizing One's Spouse to the Children So much has already been said about this one that I won't belabor it. Suffice it to say that the long-term harm alone warrants stopping this practice. If one has a problem with the spouse, he or she should deal with the spouse, not the children. Children should not become the battleground of a couple's contention. If a parent does tell the child, yes, the child will probably grow up to hate the other parent, but he will also probably grow up hating the criticizing parent. Even more important, not having seen Jesus Christ in his home, he may grow up not knowing Christ as well. Gossip Gossip murders a person's character or reputation. For example, Is she sleeping with him? I thought she was a Christian. Even if she is sleeping with him, there is a way to handle this biblically. That way is not by gossip or slander. Many people wouldn't know what to say if they didn't talk about others. Make sure you don't gossip, and make sure you don't listen to gossip either. A biblical counselor must be careful to spot any of these areas of improper and ungodly communication. He or she must be able to point out how these operate in the lives of counselees and help them to introduce new patterns of godly communication to take the place of these sinful patterns.